In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is the fourth Sunday of Easter, and as such it's not a festival Sunday, but it does have its own name. It has been traditionally called Good Shepherd Sunday, largely because three out of the four lessons talk all about sheep and shepherds. The psalm for the day is uh, the most famous psalm, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. The epistle lesson talks about all we are sheep who have gone astray and can be brought back to the good shepherd. And the gospel lesson has two examples, two metaphors for sheep and shepherds. The first one is that Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd knows his sheep and the sheep know him. And, he follow, and they follow him and he protects them. And the second example he uses is to say, I am the gate of the sheepfold. And what that means is that sometimes there was an enclosure for sheep to be put into at night to be protected. And so they didn't wander away. And sometimes the shepherd would lay in the gateway. He would himself become the gate to keep sheep in and to keep predators out. So I am the good shepherd and I'm also the gate to the sheepfold, Jesus said. All of these sheep and shepherding images um, are very familiar to us. They're not as comfortable to me because I really don't have much for sheep being a cattleman, but I do think that Jesus the good shepherd has a better ring to it than Jesus the good cowboy. So sheep and shepherds. If you don't know much about sheep, this sounds kind of comforting because, you know, you've seen pictures of little lambs and they're very cute and very cuddly. But if you know anything about sheep, it's not very complimentary because sheep are, for one thing, pretty stupid. They will get their heads caught in a woven wire fence and just stand there and die. They'll roll over in a, in a dead furrow and lay there and die. Uh, and they're, they're very much a herd animal. Uh, so if one of them jumps off a cliff, they'll all jump off. They're also pretty defenseless. You know, wolves, coyotes, dogs come, they just stand there and get slaughtered. They're pretty brainless, defenseless, herd animals, and uh, it's not very complimentary to think that we are sheep. And when people recognize this, they're like, well, that's not me. <laughs> really? Uh, we're pretty defenseless. I mean, when push comes to shove, we don't need even this current coronavirus crisis to tell us we're pretty powerless in a lot of situations. And as far as being dumb, you know, there are too many examples for me to even bring up about people doing things that are dumb. E even in the current crisis, there are people wandering, wandering around, not maintaining social distance and doing everything that's dumb. As far as uh, being a herd mentality, just watch teenagers sometime if you think there isn't a herd mentality. If one of them gets a brand of clothing that's cool, they all have to have it. You'll see your teenage kids and grandkids standing in shorts outside in the winter all shivering because it's, I don't know, somebody else was doing it. And adults aren't really any better. We're just a little slicker at it. Oh, I have a Mercedes. Well, doesn't a Chevy get you to the same place from point A to B? Oh, yes, but I have a Mercedes. Well, good for you. So we are sheep. There's no question about that. And sheep need a good shepherd because if left on their own, they wander off, they get, uh, you know, uh, ravaged by beasts and all kinds of things. The good shepherd has to actually go and carry the sheep back on his shoulders because when sheep get lost, they get so nervous they can't even walk or find their way back. So we need a good shepherd. There's no question about that. 
The thing that I noticed in the text this time, though, that I, uh, I, I guess didn't pay as much attention to before, is Jesus said, uh, I didn't, I, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. The abundant life. And it seems that there is always a context of having the abundant life. I don't think it's by accident that the very next story that we have after this one is the story that we had a few weeks ago of Jesus healing the man who was born blind. He didn't just tell the man who was born blind, your sins are forgiven. That's great. But he also gave him more than that, the abundant life, in that he said, put mud on his eyes, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. And the man was able to see. That's the abundant life. That's the extra. It's not just that we are saved from something. We are saved from sin. And we are, and that's true, and that's great. But it's even greater that we are saved for something. We are saved for abundance in life. And that doesn't just mean we've got a whole bunch of possessions or we've got a whole bunch of money or you know, boats and cars and whatever. It means that our life always has meaning and that our relationships are better. That's abundant life. When you have a good relationship with God and with yourself and with other people, you've got an abundant life. That's pretty good living. The disciples knew that. The disciples were willing to do anything to have this abundant life in the relationship with God through Christ. They were even willing to risk death. They thought it was that great. They thought it was worth that much. And so we have that. The abundant life is in context. Jesus didn't just uh, tell the man who was lame, your sins are forgiven. He also said, rise, take up your mat and walk. He didn't just tell Mary and Martha, well, you know, sorry about your brother Lazarus, but you know, he'll, he'll be resurrected on the last day. No, he called out and said, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus came out and was uh, raised from the dead. He didn't just tell the Samaritan woman, you know, uh, someday you could have living waters. He gave her living waters by accepting her as she was. And we know that because she said, look, here is a man who's told me everything I've ever done and is still accepting of me and still loves me and still thinks I'm great. That's the abundant life. And what we in the church have to look out for is anything that is robbing people of light and love and life. And there's a lot of things out there that can do that. We are the ones who are trying to bring that abundant life to other people. I remember a, uh, a missionary that we listened to when I was in seminary. And he was in doing work in Africa. And he said that uh, the people over there were so poor and so disease-ridden that it was, it was just made you cry to see it. So he said, here's one thing that the gospel message is not to those people. He said it would not be the gospel to simply fly over with a helicopter over those people and through a loudspeaker say in their language, Jesus loves you. And then, boom, away you go. He said, the gospel message, the abundant life, is if that helicopter stopped and had food and medical supplies. That's the abundant life. Yeah, their sins are forgiven. That's true. But there's, more, there's even more to this. There's more of the abundant life. And so, as we go about uh, our lives now, it's very important for us to look to see that we're making sure other people have the abundant life as well as, as we do. And it's not something that we use as a goal. It's like, well, I'm going to go out and get the abundant life. Here's the trick to this thing. The abundant life 
is not a goal. It's simply a byproduct of following Jesus. To have an abundant life is all, will always result from being a disciple, to go where Jesus went and to do what he did and to help other people the way he helped people. Amen. Now may the peace of God which passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.